We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my host, Nick Pilato. It's almost here, baby. The draft is now two days away from the time of this recording, 48 hours into the start of day one. We're super excited for this. And so for today, we want to get in another My Guys podcast. We did My Guys on offense yesterday. This will be My Guys on defense today. We will talk about why there are guys why we like them so much first consensus, where the Giants could target them if the Giants will target them. And, you know, different players really here. Day one, day two, day three type players at all different positions, just like the offensive podcast. So I think makes it interesting. And then just to give you a little preview of what's to come, and we'll wrap up today's show, by the way, by reviewing some more mock drafts. We're running out of time there. Preview of what's to come. Wednesday, we are might have a special show. So we're in the process of working on that now. That's not going to give it away until we know we can do it. But we'll also probably do a final recap of like thoughts going into day one type of thing. What where we're at with pick twenty five, trading, trading in, trading out. If if not, what type of players could be there? Where we'd rank it? You know, who we're happiest with, who we're least happy with, things like that. And then obviously, for those who don't know, who weren't here in the past, we will have draft recap shows Thursday night. We'll have a recap of day one and a target list podcast for day two. So we'll just go over our favorite targets for day two for the Giants there. Then after Friday, we'll have a recap show for day two, potentially a targets list for day three. We'll go over that most likely. I think that's what we did last year. And then finally, a final recap of day three and potentially early UDFAs if that news is already out. And then we'll regroup that day, Sunday, and then probably Monday we'll have a more like um, grades type podcast, overall outlook type podcast, something like that. You know, as when, when you're a kid, Dan, you look forward a lot to your birthday. You know, you get your mm-hmm. presents, you know, you're turning a different age. It's all exciting, all that shit, man. That's kind of what the draft is, man. It's like looking forward to another birthday. And now I'm in my 30s, so birthdays, they're not really nearly as important as they were when you're in your teens and your 20s. But I'll tell you, man, I am, I'm very stoked and very excited about Thursday night and what direction Joe Shane and the Giants could take this franchise in because, honestly, man, they can go in so many different directions, and, and I'm just uh, really fascinated by their plan. I'm very excited as well, and I'm just just excited for what the Giants do. I'm just excited for the entire draft. I just love watching it unfold. Yeah. Like I'm the guy who I have to be on Twitter for my job so we can help you know grow our show and like get more exposure to people who don't know about our show, Nick. But which is really what Twitter has become for me. But even today, like, and by the way, something you've talked about and I've talked about, 
interactions way down on Twitter because if you don't pay for Twitter blue, that they don't move your your posts up. And I'm not paying for Twitter blue yet. I, I know you haven't yet. Uh, I lost my check mark, my beloved blue check mark. <laughs> you did. <laughs> it was a sad day when I, lost. I know you were Everyone probably so pissed. Except the I know it's crazy, favorite, but I'm not going to pay for that yet. I don't see enough value in it, and I just don't want to be the dude. I'll pay for it when it's cool to pay for it. Like right now, it's the cool thing is to not pay for it, and you're looked at like worse if you are paying for it so i'll just wait until the day comes where you can pay for because i do think it's somewhat worth the eight dollars because you can edit and especially if you're if the posts are moving up like and people are getting exposure to your work versus not getting exposure to your work when you're not on it um especially for what we do promotion is key but for now i'm not paying for it i'll say this though I i've seen people who have paid for it and they get to type out much more than what is it 180 characters yeah, you or get longer tweets that's pretty valuable when you're trying to break valuable. down tape and stuff like that. And you so get longer videos too. So you can put out longer. Oh. Like I know you do a lot of video work, Nick. You can put out longer videos as well. So there's I was that. never a blue checkmark guy though. You know, like that, I was yeah. never that guy. I never really cared for any of that stuff, but yeah. that does, that, there's utility in that. Yeah. So you'll, you'll see us throughout on Twitter as well. But my point of that was saying anyway, it was a long tangent was just that I'm the type of guy, Nick, who I will be off Twitter during the picks because I hate getting them oh. tipped to me. And I want to see it across my TV screen. I want to see, I want that moment of he is at the podium. He says the Ch Los Angeles chargers select. And I don't know what it is. And I hear that first letter of the first name and I'm like, okay, yeah. got this. Now it's like, all right, oh, damn it. I want the giants to get him. Now he's off the border. Oh, nice. That was good. The giants didn't want that guy. I want that moment in my head. You know, you, you turn in the Dave Gettleman, like mid draft. No, right no the Gettleman is more the, that's like the, the, but I just did the voices of like the, the idiot, the idiot voice that the, the Gettleman gotcha. is more, you got to throw a little boss Boston into that. And I don't do a good Boston, but the quarter, the quarterback is the one you could always do the quarter quarter. What? What? Uh, no, that's more like old Southern accent. But anyway, back to this. Let's get into our my guys now, Nick. Uh, I'm going to let you start it off again like the last pod with your first guy on the defensive side of the ball. That's your my guy. Anybody who listens to this podcast knows this player was going to be on it, similar to Tank Dell on the offensive one. And it is Emmanuel Forbes, the cornerback out of Mississippi State. I really love this kid's tape. Look, he's 166 pounds. He is a light guy. He is thin framed. He's a little bit high hipped. I've seen people discuss how he's not a man coverage cornerback. I think that is fallacious. I think that is somewhat wrong. Look, I believe he might be best in his own system. I, I don't think there's anything wrong in saying that, but he is perfectly fluid enough to operate in man coverage in terms of his footwork, in terms of his body control, in terms of his ability in and out of breaks. What is the number one trait when we think of Emmanuel Forbes, Dan, that always comes to mind. It's his ball skills. It's his ability to come away with these interceptions. All six of this man's interceptions last year, Dan, were in man coverage. And we talk a lot about his own ability. All six of them were in man coverage. You had a third and seven play against Arizona. It was cover one. He was the field side cornerback. It was a dig route that planted back to the outside after the quarterback rolled towards his direction. And Forbes worked underneath it, undercut it, came away with the interception. Next one, cover zero, boundary, off man with inside leverage versus Texas A&M. The comeback route that the wide receiver ran, it was a bit accelerated. Forbes anticipated that, worked underneath the catch point, popped the football in the air, secured it, took it, pick six, one of his six pick sixes in his college career. Another one against Texas A&M, he was the boundary cornerback, so that means he was to the short side of the field. The field cornerback means he's to the wide side of the field. He was an outside leverage. It was an inward stem towards the hash on a vertical release, so he wasn't any kind of 90-degree cut. But then the uh, wide receiver broke to the outside at about 10 yards, and then Forbes was beat on this play. 
but he recovered really well to get himself over the top of that route. Ball was slightly overthrown. Forbes intercepted that. And then the fourth interception was a cover one. He was a boundary press cornerback outside leverage with trail technique versus Arkansas ball slightly underthrown Forbes easily just jumped up high pointed at interception the fourth and two play against Will Levis in Kentucky diagnosed from man coverage probably because of the film study that Manuel Forbes put into his overall just preparation for the game right just broke on the football took it to the house and then there was the one against East Tennessee State which was cover one off man coverage and the ball kind of got kicked up in the air that was kind of a layup But even if you go back to 2021, Dan, two of his three interceptions in 2021, they were man coverage, right? One was in press. Another one was a a PBU that he had. This one was not an interception. It was a PBU that he had, but it was in man coverage where he stayed on top of the route. He knocked the football up in the air. One of his teammates intercepted it. So the whole notion that this guy can't play man coverage, it's not accurate. Like he can play man coverage. He's perfectly sufficient in man coverage. Yes, you can maybe make the argument, hey, I want him to read and react and attack because he's good in zone. But miss me with that dude because he he is a man coverage cornerback as well and he can thrive in zone because guess what he's just a damn good football player he's just a little undersized yeah i like this call i think the only position i care about 40 yard dash speed in and, and not just you know did you test well in the 40 it's like does it actually translate to the film as well is cornerback and i stand by this and i've been burned in the past by players like deandre baker with bad 40 times and not great long speed who had everything else but when you don't have that you just don't make it at the nfl level remember it's different when you're a wide receiver because you are dictating on the routes right like we see all these wide receivers who are not that fast nick making the nfl because they're the ones who are moving forward the corners are moving backwards it's a reactionary position it's a lot harder to cover than it is to run routes against the people trying to cover you so having that speed and that recovery speed is important because you're going to get beat sometimes and you didn't need to be able to recover also you're going to sometimes be playing off and things are going to be breaking in front of you and you need to be able to drive on that ball. So when you talk about the 10 yard split in the 40 time, which are both good for four, especially the 40 time at matters for me um, and coverage skills with it, ball skills with it. These are man coverage skills. I should say with it, ball skills with it. I like all these things. And I like that you've gone out on a limb and you've said like, I don't care about all these people who are said he should be in an off coverage scheme and he should be playing in like his own scheme. I see what I see. And I see that he has man coverage skills that translates to the next level and could work for a team like the Giants. So I really like all that, Nick. In my report on Forbes, like I mentioned, like, yes, he might not be the the man coverage type of player, like a DJ Turner in terms of their Mm -hmm. coverage, right? He might not be that smooth, but what I'm trying to articulate is he is fine in man coverage. He's not going to be a liability for you in man coverage. And if we're talking about his best trait, intercepting passes, the majority of his interceptions in college all came in man coverage. That says something about his skill when his back is turned towards the quarterback and he is focusing on the wide receiver. I just want that to be out there because I believe some of the narrative around him is it's not necessarily accurate. I like it, Nick. And so one thing, one final thing on Forbes before we move on. I forgot to say this. I did hear on a podcast yesterday or the day before. This was just a little weird to me. Apparently, Forbes showed up at college at like 164, 165. So throughout his entire career, he didn't actually put on any weight, despite obviously being an older, much older, you know, going up three, four years in age. So I thought that was a little weird on that front. And it does, I do have concerns about anyone who says he's going to be able to get bigger at the NFL level especially based on that. But I also don't think it's impossible for him to just be an outlier and be able to play at 166, 170 um, with all the skills you talked about, Nick. Like, as you mentioned, yeah, age is, it's like, what do they say? Age is only a number. 
Wade is only a number two in some degree. Like when you watch the film and he's really aggressive in the run game, it makes you a little bit, you have a little less reservations potentially about that weight situation. I think um, something size said on our podcast is something that I think you must consider with Emmanuel Forbes. It's if Brian Robinson keeps running to the outside and you have Forbes yeah. as your secondary contained defender, your forced defender who has to come downhill and make that tackle. How many times a game is, is his body going to hold up? against like a 220, 225 pound back. I don't think that is an unreasonable statement to say when he, when he said that on the podcast, I was like, yes. But at the same time, I, I think this player right here, there was nothing on his tape that was like, oh, wow, he can't do this because of his strength. Now, now you just got to project it forward. Can he not be a liability in the NFL at 160 pounds? I can't say for certain that he's not going to be in run support. But how many times also is it just the cornerback against the running back, right? Like you have plenty of players in front of you flowing to the play side as well. It doesn't happen all that often where it's just the cornerback and the running back on a run type of play. So I am a little hesitant about the weight. If, if it wasn't for the weight, Dan, I would be probably have this guy as like a top 10 player in this class. Wow. It's really I love that. Weight. Well, think about it. Like what, what is his, what is his damning trait? Like what on his tape says, Hey, I'm not that great at football. There's really nothing. It's just nothing. he's 166 pounds. Yeah. So like that's that's the one thing. I think you take the good with the bad, and I think the good outweighs the bad with him. Okay. I like that call. That's our first my guy, Nick's first my guy, a player who could be in the mix for the Giants at 25 overall, Emmanuel Forbes, corner at a Mississippi State. My first my guy, the put the player I would bang the table for the most in this class, on, and this goes for either side of the ball, offense or defense, is Diane Henley, the linebacker out of Washington State. So I think when it comes to Henley, I can go over all the stuff that you've heard already, and we've talked about him the most, but what really stands out to me is just surprising range and true linebacker instincts for somebody who just hasn't played the position for a long time. When you watch him in the run game and the best film, if you want to just do a one film scouting on any of these players, like I'll, we'll try to give you maybe one tape that to watch. And this one for me is by far and away the USC game, because when he's playing USC, he gives you a little bit of everything that he can do on the field. But one of those things is those true linebacker instincts range and ability to make the right decisions when coming downhill in the run game. And the fact, Nick, that he's already this advanced in this regard, in addition to only having a 5.2% missed tackle rate on 74 tackles, leading to a 90.3 pro football focused tackling grade for the year, which is, by the way, better than anyone in this class at linebacker, despite this guy supposedly being a pass coverage linebacker. It's crazy to me. Because he hasn't played the position long. So how the hell are all these other dudes who've played linebacker their whole life, not all of them, but some of them, not posting the same kind of tackling grade? Not to me looking like they have the same kind of instincts. And that goes less so for the guys who have played it for a long time and more so for the guys like Drew Sanders and Trenton Simpson, like the other type of athletic type guys who maybe off ball linebackers at the next level. And yet this guy to me shows more. There's physicality in his game that I just wasn't expecting to see. Like I put on, I started watching Henley and I was expecting, all right, this is going to still be a guy. I love Nick, but he's going to be a guy who's just great in pass coverage, a safety slash hybrid linebacker, just a guy I've wanted on the giants defense for years because of those skills. But then you add in all of this other stuff that I just mentioned, the true linebacker instincts, the low missed tackle rate, um, the physicality that he brings to the run game. And I'm just thinking like, damn, this dude could be good. And you talk, we talked about Ivan Pace earlier, like on a few podcasts and just kind of how he's fun to watch because he'll be in the middle of that defense and he'll just like pick him in and out, go weave in and out of these guards and centers and just find a way to get around them and rush the passer without getting contacted. That's something that Diane Henley does really well as well. So now we have the upside of him being that interior pass rusher in addition to 
the best thing he obviously has. Like, let's not bury it. It's his coverage skills and his coverage upside at the next level. This is a former wide receiver, former quarterback with elite level spatial awareness when it comes to pass coverage. That's how I see him. And you've heard it before with players like Julian Edelman, who converted from wide uh, quarterback to wide receiver. You've heard this from other guys who try to convert and make that change, that position change. It's like, well, we played quarterback, so we actually understand spatial. We, we understand the space. We understand the zone coverages. We understand where to find spots. And that's something that Dan Henley has in this class. I don't think any other linebacker has at his level at all in addition to already being all those things and honestly he has the twitch he has the speed he has the athleticism to do his game four five four 40 yard dash at 225 is super impressive anytime you run a four five four this is someone i think can carry the vertical routes out of the seam i think he's going to be in addition to that his best at his best nick when he's in zone coverage that's when you're really going to start to see this dude make plays on the football and get into passing lanes and disrupt things uh hopefully for the giants so he's my favorite of all the my guys on either side of the ball, Nick, I would love if the Giants took him at 57 overall. I think he has a good chance to fall into that range. And I think there's a good chance the Giants will be interested in him. He's also on my list, Dan. Okay. And Diane Henley is a big blue banter type of linebacker. We've been talking mm-hmm. ever since we started this podcast or ever since I came on board after Turchin left, like we've been talking about guys like Diane Henley. And I think he might be the best of the bunch. And I don't group Logan Wilson into this. I think Logan Wilson was just, I think Logan Wilson was just a miss by the NFL that they yes. let him even fall as far as they did. He wasn't this type of linebacker though. And I watched that USC game because you kept pounding the, the table. Yeah. The USC. He had a couple really good plays in the late in the first quarter where he tackled die around the line of scrimmage. And he was like sifting through blocks and stuff yep. like that. Then the, the second he had a couple, I think he had like a 16 yard and a 20 yard gain where he found himself out of position and mm-hmm. a little bit tick slow in terms of run instincts. But like you said, man, and you, and you went over him very well. I'm glad you were that comprehensive with his profile, like a former wide receiver who is able to have the type of impact he did in a new program at Washington State. According to a lot of people in the draft community, they revered him like this is a newcomer coming in and they revered this guy and he added a whole different element of athlete to that defense and i would love to have him you know be that nickel linebacker for the giants and he could start in base as well but he is the type of guy you need to guard the dallas goddards of the world and those really athletic tight ends that we see proliferating around the nfl so i think even though he is what i think he's like 24 years old or he'll be 24 years old during the season he's 23 I still am completely fine with the Giants using a second round pick on a player like this because I think him and Okereke would form a really nice young linebacking core. The Giants have just not had in it seems like decades. <laughs> and one more thing about that age factor, because you know, we talked a lot about how last draft Joe Shane drafted a ton of young players, one of the youngest draft classes in the entire NFL. One thing to factor in. This is going to be one of the oldest classes, not only in recent memory, but probably for the next decade plus, because this class is very heavy with the with the COVID year, guys. So a lot of these players got a free year of eligibility based on COVID, and they used it to their advantage because not everybody wants to just make the jump to the NFL. Either they're not getting a first round grade, which is a good reason to go to the NFL, or they just feel like they want a longer college experience. There's more to accomplish at the collegiate level. They want to continue to work on their game. I'm not going to use that against them them getting an extra year of eligibility. This is going to be an older class coming out, but that's okay with me uh, because I know it's a, it, it factors in with a lot of these prospects in this class. I do wonder how the 20-year-olds in this draft class, though, how they will be impacted by that, like the two Tuli Tool Pelotus. And there's a, there's a couple of the guys, like Keely Ringo. Like Our team's going to value them a little bit more because they are like four years younger than some of these yeah. other players at the same position. 
Yeah, it's possible. And we'll see if the Giants are one of those teams based on last year. There's at least a suggestion to believe it's possible that they will be leaning toward age again. All right, let's get to your second my guy on the defensive side of the ball. I'll go to another position. I have another cornerback on this list, but I'll go to another position group in the secondary, and that is safety, nickelback, whatever you want to call him. And this is a player that, again, if you've been listening to Big Blue Banter for a while, you knew that this player was going to be on my list. I talked about him when I went on Bobby Skinner and Justin Penick's podcast, Talking Giants. It is Jartavis Quan Martin out of Illinois. Look, dude, we talk a lot about Brian Branch, who's also on my list, but he's not a bolded player because I don't know if the Giants will have a shot on him. We talk a lot, dude, about the safeties who can tackle like Brian branch. We cannot stop about just how precise and how physical he is as a tackler. He had such a low missed tackle rate in college. Martin's isn't that much higher than his. Like Martin was coming from the post. He was coming from the deep half. He played a lot of apex nickel slot, all of those type of roles, wore a ton of hats at Illinois. And my biggest issues with him were all just kind of like blown coverages and him not maintaining the right body position in man coverage on these deep horizontal crossing routes because I felt like he had a very aggressive nature where he just wanted to force turnovers. Similar to, and I've said this in the past, like a Marcus Peters type, right? Mm -hmm. He plays with a very aggressive chip on his shoulder trying to make a play. But this is somebody who is an elite level athlete, dude, elite level. We're talking about someone who I jumped over 40 inches in the vert, somebody who had, I think like an 11, one broad yet yeah, 11, one broad jump, a one, four, four, 10 yard split at five foot, 10, almost five, 11, 194 pounds. If you're telling me, man, you need to replace Julian love in this draft class, but we don't want to spend a first round pick on a Brian branch. I don't know why the giants wouldn't go out and draft Jartavis Quan Martin, who is one of my dark horses to be selected in the first round, because you don't see players this athletic. You don't see players who can handle this many responsibilities like a Quan Martin and be as disciplined as he is as a tackler. I think he can maintain better discipline in coverage. Yes, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think that stuff can be coached up. Everything I've heard about him is he's a good kid, has a good head on his shoulders. I can't necessarily speak to that, but if you want a player who is tailor-made for Wink Martindale's system in terms of he can blitz, he can hit, he can play man coverage, he is smart in zone coverage, he can tackle, he can do anything you ask him to. It's Jartavis Quan Martin. You can get him on day two. I think he's a plug-and-play into this defense, and he can just handle a variety of different roles, and he would be probably an upgrade over Julian Love eventually. I don't think probably in year one there might be a little bit of progression, whereas a Brian Branch would be an upgrade over Julian Love because he's a lot more polished than a Quan Martin. But man, dude, this is a very, very exciting football player who I just wouldn't be shocked if he goes higher than a lot of people expect. And I like him better than Sidney Brown, which not a lot of people I feel like are assigning that to him either. Yeah, and that that you're right about that. Both play. I think the difference with Brown is he's he's a much worse tackler than Jatavius Martin. We know in this Wink Martindale defense with these secondary players at safety, we need tacklers. We just we just need it. It's it's you're relied on to do so much. You're sometimes playing like a linebacker type role. So I love this call by you, Nick, with Jatavius Martin. He's a player who I'd also be excited about the Giants getting even at 57. I know some people maybe be like, oh, maybe you get him on, in round three at some point. Well, not at 89. He's not going to fall that long. And at 57, I think we both have a higher grade on him than than maybe uh, his projection right now. I'm not sure. One thing I love the most about getting a player like him in, in the mix is I think there's a good chance, Nick, that he could immediately step in as their best nickel defender, their best slot coverage defender in year one. 
And because what is he competing against? Darnay Holmes, who grabs every like the, the competition. I mean, Aaron Robinson coming off an injury. Like we're not talking about the highest bar to set. I mean, yes, they have moved down McKinney at times over the slot. They did it against Hawkinson to win the playoff game. Like there will be times where McKinney plays over the slot and that's fine too. But I'd rather be able to use McKinney in a variety of different ways, which you can then also use Martin in as well. And that gets to the fun of it, right? Like there's versatility. I love these position versatile type players that the Giants could be drafting because I just think it gives you so much actual edge when you're building out your roster, both from a depth standpoint, right? If one of your guys gets injured and you have all these defined roles for all these players, now you're kind of screwed. But if you don't have all these defined roles and these guys can wear different hats and they can do different things, you can ask somebody to play a Julian Love role for a little while, or you can ask him to play the Darnay Holt. Like you have different roles where you can slot these guys into. So that's my main thing I love about Jatavius Martin. And I assume you'd be good with taking him at 57. I would be good at taking him up the I don't even know if he's gonna be available. No, I don't think he will be here. probably, but and I also like people are like oh Manuel Forbes in a second. Like I would be shocked if Emmanuel Forbes is available. No, 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 no. Forbes won't be you know wanna know why? Because actually uh my editor RJ, my boss sent me this a little earlier. Just he he follows closely the he works for Sportsline, that's our CBS Sports. He follows closely the odds movement with the draft stuff mm-hmm. because Basically, Vegas has been better than any of these mocks or any of us dumbasses when it comes to including the good guys, right? Like the Jeremiah, even Vegas better than them because Vegas yeah. somehow just knows everything. And Forbes is for it was taken off the board for to go in the first round. He was at minus 400 and then he was taken off the board, which is essentially Vegas saying we're so sure he's going in round one that we don't even want to give anyone the chance to bet it. I think Emmanuel Forbes, if he's available for the Giants, I wouldn't be shocked if he's taken before the Giants, but I look at the Bengals. I look at maybe even – I don't think Dallas now with the guys are on Gilmore. System. Oh, I, I think the Bengals would be all over that, but I also think the Bengals would probably like a couple other players. Like I wouldn't be shocked if Buffalo, even though they just went with Kyrie. Like there, There's a lot of players I feel like would value that kid's skill set and overlook the fact that he's 166 pounds. But yeah. We're talking about Quan Martin here. and Quan also, man, this is somebody who only had two penalties in the last two years. And seven missed tackles total at a 6.1 missed tackle rate in 2022 and a 4.8 missed tackle rate in 2021. I just look, man, I think some of his issues on tape can be correctable with the right coaching staff and maybe just a more disciplined approach. And it's nothing that I feel like he can't handle. So I just think in the second round or on day two, you're getting a high ceiling player who's also going to provide a high floor who's wildly versatile. So why not? consider that player, right? Like that's a first round player by a lot of metrics and in a lot of drafts. And this is a crappy draft. So like, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up even going in the first round or very early in the second. Yeah, I'm with you on that. He's definitely a good sleeper to go in the first round. Like you're talking about who's going to go, who's going to surprise us on day one. I would not be surprised if Jertavius Martin is one of those players. To be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if his teammate Sidney Brown is as well. I know you like Martin more, and I think that's fair. And you've kind of brought me along to that. But I think some teams will look at Sidney Brown, the athleticism and everything, and also the versatility and be like, if we could just clean up his tackle, like his form on tackles, we can make him into one of the best safeties. Great kid, too. And that, that and gets great back kid. Here. And huge on yeah. special teams as well, which is was just super important for teams. Um, just shows kind of their effort level. All right, let's get to my next my guy, and it's going to be Deontay Banks, the corner out of Maryland. To me, this is just essentially the all-everything profile, production and athletic projection. So let's get to some of the numbers first. He missed only one of his 36 tackle attempts, and I think that shows up on film. You're getting somebody who's going to be a Dory jackson S, like what the Giants had last year, a guy who you just know is going to shoot up to that line of scrimmage on the quick break, on the quick passes or the runs on the perimeter and make a tackle for you. He also allowed just a 43.3% completion rate, which was excellent. These are both 22 numbers. I think the recovery speed was obvious on tape, but then you look at it, 
and it checks out. I mean, remember what I say. This is, in a lot of ways for these NFL GMs, a stopwatch position, and I believe it should be. It's the only position I, I believe in it. Now, I don't just think, oh, look at the 40 time and just say he's fast. No, watch on film too. But this dude ran a 4-3-5 40-yard dash. That is elite-level speed. That's what you want. You want these corners in the 4-4s four or lower because it's a tough position to play. And it shows up on, on film. I think he has the recovery speed. It was obvious. In addition to that physicality as a tackler, I think he's already super, super sticky in coverage on most routes. He's a 200-pound athlete athlete so he's a much bigger player and which is what you want as well not 197 exactly six foot 197 that's what you want as well I think there's room to grow for him when it comes to the press technique and that's something that I can view as a good thing as well because Jerome Henderson and the Giants are real uh, Jerome Henderson has at this point me and you are very high on Jerome Henderson yeah. like we don't love all our position coaches but this is one of them we love how could we not right like look at the production the Giants got out of like street corners last year at, at, at times like even turning guys that we weren't expecting to we were expecting to be major liabilities like Nick McLeod we're like dude we don't want Nick McLeod on the field and it's like oh Nick McLeod looking pretty good <laughs> same goes for basically everyone they tried at that corner position last year because they had to so now they get an actual talent someone who could work on his press technique and prove it obviously I talked about the four three five speed but also the one four nine ten yard split was elite click and close 92nd percentile acceleration. And these are the two things I look for at corner when it comes to the testing, the speed, uh, the 40 yard speed to be, to be able to recover. And then that 10 yard split, because that shows me, look, if you're playing an off coverage, you're playing a little off the receiver and he makes his step and he makes his break toward back inside or back toward the quarterback on a stick route. You need to be able to drive on that throw and you need to be able to break that up after driving on a throw. When you have 92nd percentile, uh, 10 yard split, you are able to drive on that throw. You are able to make that. And then, of course, the explosiveness in his game is there as well. 97th and 98th percentile vert or yeah. vertical and broad jumps. That was something in Byron Jones's profile before he broke out in the NFL level. And I know Byron Jones is now going to be out in the NFL, but he put a big, long post out about how like he had some serious injuries earlier in his career that were not treated well by his medical staff, and that ruined his career. And that's going to happen for these players. Sometimes a lower body injury will ruin your career. But before Byron Jones went to Miami, he was one of the best corners in the NFL overall. All. And I think his explosiveness played a big role in his development. So there's really nothing to miss with this Deontay Banks profile, except for two things. One, the arm length is not good. 47th percentile, uh, not what you want there. And then two, the ball skills are not great. He's not, in my opinion, great at the catch point. I don't think he does a great job getting his head around and he doesn't have much of a production profile from a, from an interception standpoint there. So I think for me, Deontay Banks is more than likely Nick going to be a back end cornerback one or a really, really good cornerback two. But I think it's important to remember a couple things when people hear that they're like, why is this your all everything profile then? Why are you so excited about him? He's already projecting round one. It's like, well, guess what? If you have the 25th pick overall, you're not getting an elite shutdown corner most of the time. These dudes, if they are in the draft, they will go in the top 10. Sauce Gardner last year, uh, Patrick Sertan a year before. And I think what really separates his profile from being maybe that elite corner one is the ball skills. And that to me is not going to take some kind of massive jump at the NFL level. But if you're getting a pretty good corner one or an elite corner two at 25 overall or even in 15 where he would go, I still like it. And there is still an opportunity with this athletic profile and the production he's already shown. And by the way, another thing that's cool about his profile is you watch Maryland, you'll be like, oh, he's doing a lot of different things. He's playing zone here. He's playing man here. He's he's doing like they use a pretty diverse uh, array of coverages there. I felt like watching him. So. I love him. I hope the Giants can somehow find a way to get him. He is one of the two players in this class, and there's only two who I would want to trade up for. You want to talk about inexact signs. Well, first, let me say this. 
The shoulder injury that he suffered in 2021 that held him out of his entire 21 uh, campaign, that has to check out. So med- right. there is a little bit of a medical red flag there, but that's a shoulder. It's not lower body. We'll have to see how that holds. Looking at his combine and his pro day numbers next to each other, tell me how this makes any sense. You brought up his length and how it was an issue. Okay. His combine length was an issue. 31 and 3 eighths, like, that's not terrible, but it is sub 50%. At the pro day, he shows up with 32 and one eighth inch arms. It's like, oh, his arms grew. Isn't that excellent? <laughs> but really weird and wild thing, Dan, is at the combine, his wingspan was 77 and one eighth inch. But at the pro day, it was 76 and one fourth. What How the hell is that I, about? How the hell does that work when your arms I are have longer? No idea. People <laughs> so say that these guys train for the testing, and you shouldn't take the numbers as seriously. Or, you know, lately because people have been much better training. But you, I don't know how you can train for length testing. <laughs> I guess you can stretch. No, neither do I. But it just doesn't make any sense that his his wingspan is shorter at the pro day. Right. His arm is significantly. It's the total longer. opposite. Yeah, it makes zero sense. Absolute inexact science. And Deontay Banks is also on my list, but I won't be going over him. He's one of my unbolded players, but I loved Deontay Banks. And I was like, Dan, you're going to love this guy. I gave him you that. Like, I know. It's yeah, crazy it's not- how often the guys you think I'm going to love just end up being right. Like, I don't think you've missed on one. And this was also before, like, everyone was talking about Deontay yes, Banks. Just yes. back in, like, the end of January, like, after the Giants got eliminated. We actually like, thought we might get him at 25. When it was like, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Now I see people like, oh, man, you know, Deontay Banks, that will be the pick. I'm like, dude, I don't think he's getting there. But anything yeah. can happen. You know, who knows, man? Anything could happen, but it just feels so much like, I mean, I look at this class. It's so shitty at the top. I'm like, there's no way 24 picks can go by Dante and Deontay Banks. There's just not enough good prospects for that to happen. Yeah, sadly, I'm right there with you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm going to stay in the same position group. We have a lot of corners, but you know we've, we've done a lot of work on the cornerback group because we know the Giants yep. should be interested because there's not a lot of long-term uh, solutions on their roster after Dory Jackson leaves and he might leave after this season. Giants need to invest in this position. So I have Julius Brents here and I don't know if Julius Brents is the best fit for what the New York Giants want to do. Can he run press and get up there and jam the crap out of you with his length, even though his technique might not be perfect? Sure. Yes, he can do that. But I don't find him to have the type of vertical speed that maybe Wink Martindale would covet. And I'm not just saying that because he ran a, what was it, like a four, five, three at the combine because he absolutely is a freak of nature. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But like, I saw a lot of people get past him like against Missouri. I think it was, mm-hmm. I saw some freshman receiver just blow right by him. 
I, I did a whole list on, on Big Blue View of the plays where that gave me some concern, some against Quentin Johnston. But then I always come back to, are we overthinking this with Julius Brent? Yes, he might not be the ideal fit for man coverage, but how many guys do we know who just a shade under six foot three, 198 pounds with offensive lineman wingspan, a 99th percentile wingspan for cornerbacks, 82 five eighth inch uh, wingspan, Dan, which is freaking insane. Like that's more than Peter Skaronsky. That's more than a lot of offensive wow. linemen, 34 inch arms. That's more than a lot of these offensive linemen, which is freaking crazy. And on top of that, he had elite Vertical jump, 41 and a half, 96 percentile. Elite broad jump, 138 inches. It's over 11 feet, 99th percentile. Three cones, 663, 93rd percentile. And then a short shuttle was a 405, 80th percentile. So I'm like, are we overthinking this? Because he's another one of those guys that I don't know if he'll ultimately go in the first round, but I can't say I'd be shocked. If you're looking for like a big bodied freak athlete type of player, He's right here. Everybody in the NFL, except for Seattle, I guess, even though they did too, allowed Tariq Wollin to fall to the fifth round, which still kind of shocks me. And I feel like Julius Brents' best fit would be in that type of cover three zone system, but towards a sideline. But I think he is, for his size and his length, which really stresses quarterbacks to be really precise with touch on the football because they can just cover so much ground with that length and with their long strides. I still think he can operate in man coverage just might not be his ideal fit and i don't think he's a perfect prospect look he went to iowa iowa's a weird school and they don't really you know allow their good players to play football until they're like juniors so he transferred to the state where he was an honorable mention all big 12 and then he was first team all big 12 led the team in interceptions led him in pass defense had eight passes defended and four interceptions this past season went down to the senior bowl had a good week so i look at a man and the giants don't go cornerback at 25 he is sitting there at 57 which i don't even know if he would be yeah. i would be okay with that pick and i think he could be and i've said this before kind of like a jimmy smith for wink martindale's defense I love that because I think it's important to know, like they're not, it's not like they're just looking for perfect fits for the system. Like you said, Jimmy Smith was able to find out and carve out a really good run with Wink Martindale in a system that maybe didn't perfectly fit his skill set. And that's going to happen with other players, the Giants draft, which comes to Julius Brents though, Nick, I think you're right. I just don't see him falling to 57. I think there's a better chance. I honestly think there's a better chance Emmanuel Forbes falls to 57, even though now he's coming off the board. So I don't think that's going to happen either. The, the, the props board, because at least on that front, you're like, well, he's 166 pounds. It's so small with Brent's. It's the speed, I guess the vertical speed, which is definitely a, a factor. But if you have a team like the Bengals, for example, you mentioned them earlier with Forbes, it's like a Bengals type team might just be like, screw it. We're taking him in round one. We're not as worried about his deep speed, like the way we play the, st the style of defense that we play. And so I think a zone heavy team will value him a lot more than a man heavy team. And he'll go off the board before 57. But I love this call, Nick, because you're not going to find an athletic profile like this anytime soon. That also has production. You talked about eight, eight times he got his hands on a pass for a PBU four interceptions look good on film look smooth looks fluid and with that and the elite I'm talking crazy change direction crazy explosiveness length the length is the craziest part too like you talked about an offensive line wingspan like that's the type of guy who if you get the right coaches with him and he really takes well to, to learning the technique and improving at it he could be like an as what we expect Joey Porter, like what Joey Porter already does so well, like with his press coverage and his off the line of scrimmage and the physicality, you could just eventually get that out of Brent's potentially if you get the right coaching in addition to the change of direction, which in my opinion, he's a more fluid mover than a Joey Porter. So, and he's a more explosive athlete in, in some ways than a Joey Porter as well. So 
I'm with you. If you're taking, if all these teams are so excited about Porter and he's going to probably go before 25, like why not Brent's? Why not? Just because he didn't run this. Like, he runs a four five three. Porter runs a four four seven. Like there's not enough of a difference there. No, there's not enough of a difference there. And I think his length, Julius Brent's, that is, you really saw it against Oklahoma because there was a play. And this is kind of like what I would hope if the Giants selected him, Jerome Henderson would fix like his feet. And his press technique could be improved. But if you do improve that, he is fluid enough, as you said. I don't think he's the most fluid, but he is fluid enough to hold up in man coverage. But he was manned up against Marvin Mims in press. Marvin Mims won to the outside. He got caught leaning. And Marvin Mims had him beat. But you see Brent's kind of open up his stride a little bit, work underneath the catch point, and then use his length to knock the football away. Maybe if... Marvin Mims had a quarterback who could really throw a good football. Julius Brents might have been beat on that play, but you can see that there is an ability to recover when he is able to open up his stride and his hips are already flipped. If you watch the TCU game in the first TCU matchup against Quentin Johnston, that wasn't necessarily the case. Now he stumbled and it looked like maybe he like did tweaked his hamstring a little bit. But if you watch when he started kind of grabbing the back of his hamstring, Julius Brents, that is, you can see that Quentin Johnson's already passed him. Like Quentin Johnson already has him beat. So it's if he can use his feet and his length and not lunge so much when he is attempting to jam a little bit more precise, I think you can really unlock kind of the immense upside that he does have because he is such a freak athlete at that size. I love it, Nick. So another call for my next my guy. We're going to stay at the same position, cornerback again. We've done a lot of work here, but either way, I just love this guy at the next level. And it's DJ Turner, the cornerback out of Michigan. And now let's think about this. Michigan has done a, had a pretty solid track record of turning out corners lately. Like we've talked about how, you know, you don't want a helmet scout and you don't want a scheme scout. I mean, you don't want a helmet scout, but I don't mind scheme scouting. I don't mind conference scouting to an extent. Like, I'm much more likely to want to take a corner out of the Big Ten than I am the Big 12, even though I'm not using that against Julius Brents because I like him for sure. But they have a pretty good track record of coaching up the D-backs at Michigan. He also comes from a system that some people have said has a lot of principles based on Wink, the Wink-Martindale system. Um, I think they have the old linebacker coach of Wink-Martindale when he was at Baltimore or someone who worked with Baltimore. Do you know this exactly, Nick? Someone I'm blanking on this, but there's someone who worked with the Ravens, went over to Michigan. Um, well, Mike McDonald was their defensive coordinator, Michigan's okay. that is, and then he became the defensive coordinator last season after Wink Martindale left. Okay, maybe it was that he came over right from there, but there's like, and but it might have been somebody else who I think came from Baltimore to there. Regardless, they it, there are some principles within that, and I think when it comes to Turner, you can see you can see it when you watch him. I talked about it before, so I'm going to bring it up again. But again, the only stopwatch position I care about is this one corner, and he's got four two six forty yard speed, 99th percentile, and it shows, man. You cannot beat this dude vertically. He's going to recover on the vertical plane, and that's going to be versus NFL level speed too. If you run a four two six, that translates. And then what did I talk about before? Can you can you react fast enough and have the athletic ability to? click and close on in-breaking routes and out-breaking routes and routes that break back to the quarterback stick routes. And he has that too. A 147 10-yard split, 96 percentile. And both of these things show up on tape. Like, I'm not so sure there are many corners in this class other than Devin Witherspoon who are better pure man coverage cornerbacks than DJ Turner is. And then you factor in the fact that he also has a ton of experience. This dude has 414 snaps, according to Pro Football Focus, in press coverage. 414. Like, we have a lot of corners who don't even 
Like who, who, we have some corners in this class who you're just projecting fully from a press man coverage standpoint. And this guy has the experience playing press man and the production, which makes him a great fit for the Wink Martindale defense. One thing that I want to talk about too with him, because he has two years straight of excellent coverage numbers at a high, you know, against high level competition in the Big Ten. But one thing that I thought was interesting about his profile, Nick, because it's something that's somewhat, you know, concerning at the next level, given his lack of size, which is his obvious knock. And it's that his run defense actually improved dramatically from the 2021 season to the 2022 season, according to Pro Football Focus and their grades. And I thought that was something that was interesting about his profile. Like he took a big weakness and flaw in his game and he took to the coaching well and actually improved it. And it showed up on the tape from one season to the next one. But you're not drafting him for his run defense. You're drafting him for his click and close ability, the obvious fluidity that you see when he's in man coverage, the massive amount of experience, 414 snaps, like I said, impress the recovery speed, the elite speed, and then obviously as well, the explosive jumps. He had a 91st percentile broad jump, so this is an explosive athlete as well. DJ Turner is one of my favorite bets in this draft class. I think he could go on day one as well. He's remind, he's kind of in that Manuel Forbes, Julius Brent's range, but obviously Forbes is now viewed a little bit higher by NFL teams um, and think should definitely go in round one. But the Giants got him at all on day two, DJ Turner. I'd be excited as hell. And if they surprised us all and took him in 25, it's not something I would hate, to be honest. Like, I would rather bet on DJ Turner at 25 than John Michael Schmitz at 25, than Jack Campbell at 25, uh, and players like that at positions that, I, that I'm just not interested in using the 25th overall pick on, especially for non-amazing like amazing type of prospects like Jack Campbell and John Michael Schmitz. I like DJ Turner a lot. I am a little concerned about his ability to play out on the boundary. And I know mm -hmm. I say that while advocating for a player who is 166 pounds to play out on the boundary and play outside. But to me, the film speaks to DJ Turner being a little bit weaker at the catch point and not being able to handle contact as well as Emmanuel Forrest. But stick that guy in the slot, bro, all day. And offenses live in 11 personnel, Dan. Offenses live in those packages. So you will have DJ Turner out there for like 70% of your snaps as a significant upgrade over Darnay Holmes and just a freak athlete. And I do also believe everything that you said was accurate about like how he took to the coaching and how he improved his game over last season. I think he's going to be a good football player in the league. So yeah, 25, is it early? Sure. But I do think it would significantly upgrade the sub packages of this defense, which is vital as we know for a Wink Martindale coach team. Yeah, and you mentioned it. teams live in 11 personnel. Also, teams live in the slot, man. That's where a lot of the easiest layup throws go and a lot of the explosive plays with the slot verts and smash routes, things like that. So it's like, I don't know, man. At this point, slot is becoming more important than people realize, I think, at the NFL level because it's very easy for offenses to run their passing game through it. And so at worst case, you now have an elite slot level slot corner, in my opinion, in man coverage at least. Maybe not as great when he's coming downhill to fill the alley in the run game, but in man coverage... That's important. And I've just seen too many times, Nick, over the years, this will go for Forbes, but this is going to go more for Turner, the shorter guys, not the like guys who have more concerns about their weight. People knocking these shorter corners and then whoop, what happens? They get to the NFL level and it works because you can put them in the slot or sometimes it works on the outside. Like, you know, Sante Samuel Jr. Nobody wanted to take him in round one because of his height. And he ended up being better than like all but 15 picks in that class, right? The Chargers got an absolute steal there, right there. Big blue banter Big favor. Big blue banter favor. We loved him. We knew it immediately when we watched the tape. We knew he was a round one guy. No one else thought it. The Chargers snagged him in round two. It was one of the best picks of that class. So I just like to bet on the guys whose main knock is their, is their height. And I know with Turner, it's not his only knock, though. Like you said, there are definitely concerns. Like, he's going to have to be a matchup cornerback at the next level. I'm well aware of that. Like, you put him on the field. 
Maybe he can only be a slot, but I think he can play outside. But if he is playing outside, it's like you're going to have him in the you're going to have him traveling with one receiver. You know who that receiver is going to be. It's going to be their speedy, smaller receiver. You're not going to have him matched up against A.J. Brown. That's just not how life is going to go. You don't want that. But every team pretty much has one speedy receiver out of their 11 personnel package. And you could just literally have him travel with that receiver. And I think you have a good you, you have a good bet there. One thing I will say, and you can extrapolate this and kind of apply it to Emmanuel Forbes on the outside as well, which you did when we ran that exercise where we drafted teams against each other. I think, though, when you are in nickel sub packages against teams that run a lot of zone read and run a lot of RPOs, you need to have that nickel defender be a tough SOB and run support. And this is something we probably don't talk enough about on this podcast. Darnay Holmes is pretty good in that role. Darnay Holmes is pretty freaking good in that role. He might not be the best in coverage, but in terms of, hey, we're in nickel, they're in 11 personnel, they're going to run an RPO, we need Darnay Holmes to fill in a disadvantageous situation when the quarterback decides to hand the football off and he needs to be decisive on covering whatever his coverage assignment is, but also fitting the run. Julian Love did that exceptionally. And I think Darnay Holmes, when he was put into that situation, also does it at a high rate. We talked a lot about Darnay Holmes' ability around the line of scrimmage last year. And I think he thrives there. That's where his, his value really is. Whereas DJ Turner, I'm not saying he can't do it because I think the mentality is there. I don't think he's tentative. He's not like a bitch, right. but he's just small. <laughs> and like he would have to prove that at the next level. But again, if the Giants believe that he can do that, then I absolutely love that pick because I think from a coverage standpoint, you're getting such an upgrade over a Darnay Holmes. And I think a lot of the reason that's a great point you brought up, and we discussed that a bunch throughout our film podcast breakdowns and everything. Darnay Holmes is added value when it comes to just being that guy that you described. I think a lot of that, and you correct me if I'm wrong in your opinion, at least is him studying tape is him like reacting. Well, is him reading the the pre-snap motion or the pre-snap alignment and just understanding like, this is going to be something thrown around a line of scrimmage. Uh, and I think that's something DJ turned, like, I'm not so sure with Holmes that, and it's a toughness factor too, but I'm not so sure the size for Holmes or anything like that is really helping him in this regard. It's more to me like a mental thing when I'm watching players who make those kind of plays. I think it's both because okay. Darnay Holmes, like we, we consider him a small corner because he is, mm-hmm. and he has like little Tyrannosaurus Rex arms, but he's like 190, 195 pounds. Like he's yeah. thick. Like that's like 15, 20 pounds more True. than DJ Turner. And you could see it, man. He's yoked up. He's a yoked up dude, Darnay Holmes, right? Like when he was uh, getting his one hamstring muscle massaged on the sideline earlier in this season, you saw some of those muscles really popping out, if you know what I'm talking about. But, uh, <laughs> but DJ Turner, though, man, like I'm not saying he can't do it. But I just think it's something that you kind of have to note down to yeah. to to um just be aware of because you know the Eagles and teams like that will absolutely run RPOs and try to exploit that if he is a liability in that area. Yep. All right, let's get to your next my guy. Uh, my next my guy. This is somebody who I came on to maybe a little bit later just because the first game I watched of him was against Wisconsin. And this dude was invisible the entire game. Kudos to your Wisconsin Badgers. And then I saw the Iowa game. And uh, I saw a couple flashes in the third quarter. And of course, I'm talking about double A battery out of Northwestern, out of Tamiwa, out of Barre. Look, I think this guy could be that dark horse selection at 25. Maybe now that Ashawn Robinson was added, it's not as necessary, even though they play somewhat separate positions. But if you are looking for the Jihad Ward replacement, and we've said this on previous podcasts, this is the perfect player with such a sky high athletic upside that far supersedes anything that Jahad Ward has ever done on the football field. This player actually has some bend. Like, look, he needs some refinement. He was the only show on turf when he was out there at Northwestern. 
But if you can hone in on this guy's ability to employ pass rushing moves, he's six foot, what, one, I think six foot one and a half, 34 inch arms. We've spoken about how we like that with Aziz Ojolari in the past because they can maintain that low hat, which you see on tape and which he does, but you can also win the length battle and you can make initial contact to set up your secondary pass rushing moves. And I feel like that can maybe be refined a little bit with double A battery. But holy crap, dude, this guy's movement skills. And I'm not just not talking about the combine. You'll also see it on the tape. Because after I got done watching the Iowa and the Wisconsin game, I went and I watched Maryland, Ohio State, and Penn State. And this guy against Ohio State was making plays all up and down the line of scrimmage against the run, man. Showing physicality against one of the better offensive lines. The Ohio State offense had to change what they were doing. Because they were like, you know what? He's on the edge. We'll leave a tight end on him. No, no, son. This guy was like tossing the tight ends out of the freaking truck. And then they brought in the sixth offensive lineman in the fourth quarter to handle him, number 41. And number 41 got his ass bitched as well. And double A battery just freaking just shot right into the pocket and kept tackling the running back out there, Williams. And it was just really impressive. And then the Maryland game, like he's just pressure after pressure. I think he had like five pressures in that game and he was all over the quarterback. So I just like look at him and I'm saying there is prognostication here. He is not a complete product right now, but this is somebody who has the athletic upside just through the roof. There's a role in this defense. Wink Martindale likes these bigger type of edge rushers. He's only 22 years old. He is long ass player. He has big ass hands. And I think he's just strong as well. If you're looking for a replacement, an eventual replacement for Jihad Warden, this season can be a rotational player behind Aziz Ojolari and Kayvon Thibodeau, which is still something the Giants really freaking need. I think double A battery would be an excellent option there. Now with it probably have to be in the first round though. And that's just, do you want to do that with all the other holes that you have on the roster? Cause I don't think he's going to last at 57. A few interesting things on that though. The first one being, if you look at their athletic profiles and their production profiles, he's not that far off as an arbitrage play of Trayvon Walker, who went number one overall to the Jaguars last year. Take a look at their athletic profile, the testing, the length, the size, it's almost near identical. And then production, like, I guess Trayvon Walker had a little bit more production at Georgia, but not like crazy level production there at Georgia by any means. So one guy goes number one overall. The other guys talked about, uh, as Nick said, potentially at 25 overall or some point at some point in round one. So that was the first interesting thing. The second interesting thing, Nick, and do you have any comments on that? I would say that the 10 yard split for Walker, I think is a little bit faster, but if I'm not mistaken, the short shuttle for Adamare is a little bit faster. So you're talking about your I'd rather have, by the way, because that shows edge bend. Yeah. And you could see it too, man. Like he can, like he's not Aziz Ojolari bending, but he can bend. And you could see that knee get really, really close to the ground. You could see them shoulders kind of stay square as he's attempting to corner through the contact of the offensive tackle. But uh, yeah, please uh, go on with your point, though. Well, no, then there's the second point, which is the, the yeah. interesting one. It's the cold water point. So I told you guys uh, on the last podcast, I probably spent six and a half hours listening to Daniel Jeremiah this, this past week when I was driving around. And, I, and I'll say this. I've said it before. Daniel Jeremiah is like the one guy I really care about what he says on this circuit, if I'm going to be honest, because he's been in NFL front offices. He does this full time. It's not, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I'll listen to everybody else. And I think people bring good insights and I love the talk. But as far as just pure scouting goes, and more importantly, is the point I'm about to make, Nick, as far as where the NFL actually views these prospects, that's where I want to hear what Jeremiah says. Like, right, like, for example, everyone's saying who's in the draft committee, oh, John Michael Schmitz is the lock center one. John Michael Schmitz is the lock center one. We've got to get you. Well, Jeremiah's had Joe Tittman as his center one the entire time. Jeremiah's had Joe Tittman mocked in the first round. He's never had John Michael Schmitz mocked in the first round. And now we look at sports books and Joe Tittman is minus 140 to go in the first round. And John Michael Schmitz is nowhere near that. So just some things to think about when it comes to that. But anyway, what he said was, 
Adebayare, NFL teams had a day three grade on him before the season, right? And he said that was factoring in what they expected he would test like athletically. So I thought that was interesting. Jeremiah says, I like him a lot, but I have him. And and this is not a, but he said, I like him a lot. And I should just use instead, Nick, he has him as a back end round two guy. So Jeremiah has him as his background and round two guy. This is from a podcast, maybe recorded three or four days ago. So it's recent back end round two guy. He said, NFL teams had a day three and they, and that was, with them factoring in the testing. So I think there might be a little disconnect on where NFL teams do, but we'll find out soon. Like Jeremiah could be wrong. He's not perfect. He's not working in NFL front offices, right? Like if some team loves Adabare, they're not going to tell Daniel Domer, Hey, Daniel, we love Jeremiah. We love Adabare. They're going to want to keep that shit close to the vets. So yeah, he's really plugged in though. He's a really plugged in guy. And I take what he says seriously, even though he was kind of one of the people who was pounding the Kayvon Thibodeau has hustle issues. And I was like, Oh, was he? I think they all were bro. I remember like, I remember watching a, 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 please, I hope I'm not mistaken here, but I do remember like sitting down watching NFL network and I saw him say it. And I was like, Oh, and at that time I had already only seen two games of Kayvon Thibodeau. I was like, I didn't see it in those two games. And then I watched like all the tape I could find on him. And I was like, I never saw that. That's well before the giants selected him too. So we I didn't know see every game. Like, I, I don't know how many you saw. I probably saw about five or six. We didn't see every game, but none in the games we saw. And then it's like, forget about what we saw. It didn't happen in year one, right? Like, there were no ever, it's the opposite in year one with the Giants. So now the actual proof is in the pudding. Like, so it's very odd. The, the narrative didn't make sense anyways, though, because this is somebody who was the overwhelming favorite to be the number one selection. He hurts his ankle in week one and then comes back before he is ready and puts up 10 pressures against UCLA. To me, like I always thought the narrative didn't make sense. And then all the film that I got my hands on, I never saw it. So like, I just kind of think it was a bullshit narrative. Maybe it was put out there by the Giants. We fall to five and the Jaguars could take Trayvon Walker. I have no idea. Back to AA battery. Another thing that I think is interesting. There's no way I can know this, but I'm just collecting this from people I trust and people who are a little bit more plugged in than me. Excellent football character, like excellent individual has um, done very well in the meetings. And I think that goes a long way as well. He's going to be just a good football player who, if you can unlock like edge Ben and put him out there on the edge or kick him inside, it's the versatility that I really like there, but you can do all of those things and use him wherever you need to based on the personnel that you have. And if I'm looking at the Giants personnel, you have Dexter Lawrence, you got Leonard Williams, you got Sean and Nacho now, but you can remove those two, say it's a passing situation with Aziz and Kayvon Thibodeau. You bring in double A battery, you can use him, you can drop him into coverage because he is athletic enough and fluid enough in space to move. You can blitz him, you can use him on the edge, you can put him next to Dexter right. Lawrence to set up one-on-one situations. You can also crowd the line of scrimmage like we talk about with Kalaja Kansi. Everything that we talk about with Kalaja Kansi that we like also somewhat applies to double a battery i think Kansi is a much more refined player right now but he's not the size of a player like double a battery when in terms of the length and things like that so i like this player i think he has upside and i also think he has a floor and with the coaching i think maybe that upside can be realized and i love the point you made about how the coaching the giants have specifically can help him realize his upside and he also factors into what we were talking about before with Jadavis Martin and players like Brian Branch where there's position versatility upside as well, which is not only important for our defense, but literally any defense. Injuries happen at the NFL level all the time. We have to be able to plan around it. So I'll go over another one of my guys now. And I didn't go with any players from this team in my offensive My Guys podcast. The Lord knows I could have. Uh, so I'm going to go with one now for our defense mm-hmm. podcast. And then you know what? This guy is being discussed in the day three, in the day two range, potentially day three range, right? So that's, let's folks, let me start by setting the um, foundation for this call. 
So remember, this is not some guy I think should go on day one to the Giants or even really at 57. I think he's more likely at eight, a pick at 89 potentially. And it's Nick Herbig, the linebacker out of Wisconsin. Now, I don't know what he will be at the NFL level. He was an edge rusher at Wisconsin. I think it's more than likely he will have to convert to a hybrid role or an inside backer at full time at the NFL level, but it's not impossible. Wisconsin itself actually has a track record of players coming in from edge and converting inside backer. Zach Bond was one of them. It hasn't worked out as well there, but they also have an insanely deep inside backer core. And people have said that I've talked to his film is actually been pretty good, but it also worked for, I believe Joe Schobert in the past who had a really nice career until the injuries caught up with him at the NFL level. And then one other player who I'm blanking on now who converted from edge to inside inside linebacker at the NFL level. So there is some projection there, but I think when you watch this dude in coverage, that's really, I'm going to start there and then I'm going to get into the thing that's most important probably, or at least that is most likely to um, sway people. When you watch the student coverage, he only had 46 snaps, but I wanted to focus on them because I thought he actually did a really good job on those snaps of flipping his hips, showing that ability to kind of get the, you know, the lower body ankle flexion, the hip flipping and to drop into coverage Versus a guy who I studied the position last year, Leo Chanel, it was like night and day for me watching these two. And they play different positions. Chanel was playing inside. He was playing more of the edge role. But that's what really excites me about, you know, transitioning this guy at the NFL level to an inside linebacker role full time or a hybrid that leans with more of an inside backer there. It's the fact that when I watched him in coverage, I saw a lot of upside there. But now let's just get into the profile here. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's probably going to go late day uh, two, maybe day three and yet was one of the most productive edge rushers in this class. He had 20 combined sacks over the last two seasons and an overall 91 pass rushing grade from pro football focus with an incredible pass rush percentage. Okay, so now we're talking about a dude with 20 sacks and a 91 pass rush grade, which shows how how much he won on his pass rush reps. Why the hell is this no one that any, why should we not care about this guy? Why is this someone I shouldn't be excited about on late day two or even early day two? Like, because he has no length? Okay, because like, supposedly this is not going to translate to the next level. Like maybe it doesn't like the wingspan sucks. I get it. He's undersized and he's going to have to find different ways to win around offense tackles, the NFL level, Nick, but that's kind of what he did at Wisconsin, right? Like he found weird ways to win in his pass rush reps against these offensive tackles, not the traditional, Oh, I'll bend the edge, not traditional. Here's my get off. It's the most incredible thing in the world. He found different ways to win as a pass rusher. And I'm not so sure that's not going to happen at the NFL level. He's going to match up against better offensive tackles, but there's sometimes where these injuries pile up at offensive tackle and you have like the random undrafted dudes across the NFL playing and the giants experienced that for almost a decade with guys like Bobby Hart. And, you know, Eric flowers wasn't undrafted, but he, and neither was Bobby Hart. He was a seventh round pick, but Eric flowers wasn't undrafted, but he sure, sure played like an undrafted player. Um, so I like all that. I know you talked about the, the 10 yard split. I looked it up one five, nine at two forty. I actually thought was pretty impressive because he is two forty. Um, obviously maybe you, like you said on film, it looks like he has even more initial acceleration yeah. and burst. Oh, yeah. I think that's true. That's like what you kind of see that with all these Wisconsin linebackers. Somehow they all kind of have that same part of their profile, but do you talk about production? Reps to production as a pass rusher, which is elite in this class. Now that may not translate. It was elite at the collegiate level. I get it. The ability to flip his hips, look fluid when he's in pass coverage and good initial burst and acceleration that shows up on tape and a little less so, but also on the testing with the split 10 yard split. I think there's a chance to make this guy, this guy could be a productive NFL starter. You're going to get him deep into the deep into at this point, deep into round three, I would guess. Yeah, I like that call. I think you probably get him maybe deep into round three. I, the one thing I'll say is the weight, man, and it's the tweener. 
type of label. I think that actually meshes a little bit better with Wink Martindale because I think he could find a role for this player. And at the least, he'll be a very good special teamer. Guy is always running around. He's excellent on backside pursuit. I don't love the way his lower body looks. I know that's a little weird, but I, I think it's very thin. Like, I, this isn't somebody I'm going to trust standing up on the edge. So what is he going to be? A designated pass rusher unless he takes the Carter Coughlin route. And that's kind of where I'm like, is he going to take that Carter Coughlin route where it's like, yeah, you are a productive edge rusher in the Big Ten but we ain't going to put you out on the edge in the NFL. You're not big enough. You're not strong right. enough. So let's move you to an off ball, and then you can carve out a special teams role. And for that, it's like, will he go in round three? Because to me, that sounds like more of a, a uh, even though he was productive in college, that sounds like a little bit more than a, um, like a, I don't know, maybe fifth round pick, something like that. Like, I thought Carter Coughlin was, was a good draft pick in the seventh round, just based off the production. I think he had like a really ridiculously fast 10 yard split, like a one five. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like one five, four or something like that. And it was like really, really fast. Right. So, um, that's kind of my concerns with him and also the sacks that he had. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. Cause I didn't watch all of his sacks. I felt like a lot of them were kind of clean up. A lot of them were the uh, design of Jim Leonard's defense where it was like, Hey, chill on the backside. We're going to blitz him to this side. And then I want you to just cut off the angle when the quarterback just kind of rushes to his outside, to try to get away from the blitz. That's and fair. every <laughs> that happened like four, I think four that's incredible. That is an incredibly fair um, critique of his game. And you could say that about a lot of these Wisconsin backers within the system. And I think that's something that you have to consider when you're making a projection to the NFL level. I would give a little pushback on the, Carter Coughlin stuff though because to me this is an entirely different level athlete than Carter Coughlin like he could actually flip his hips and move in coverage in my opinion Coughlin can okay. never do that so I do think like ultimately you're probably right I'm I may be giving a I may be a little too bullish on his ability to rush the passer from the edge but I think there is an ultimate there is an option where he becomes of like I said primarily an off-ball linebacker with the right coaching and then sometimes you line him up on the edge like to me, him and Coughlin, are, I, I actually had like notes about Coughlin in my in my thing because I was like, eh, is this kind of like a Carter Coughlin? And I was like looking at it. I look back, it's called. I'm like, no, I don't think so. I think it's a totally different level athlete, and he was actually a little bit, uh, considerably more productive as well. I know Carter Coughlin though, like thinner lower body, not the longest yeah. arms. Carter Coughlin too, man. Like his junior True. tape, his junior tape. I watched. I covered. Uh, the Golden Gophers for for a season, and I was like, dude, this guy is awesome, man. He might not be built the best, but he was really productive. And then teams were just focusing on him, and he had like a really quiet senior season relative to what he did during his junior year. And I can't really speak to his fluidity in space. I always thought like he was a good athlete, and I'm pretty sure he tested like a really good athlete as well, or at least a solid athlete for the NFL, by NFL standards. But uh, that's kind of what I was thinking though when I saw that. That's me though, and, and I didn't that's watch. Nearly as much as you. No, I mean, I can get that. I think those are fair concerns. I mean, that, that's why I'm talking about him more in that round three range because I just think he's like a better version of that style prospect with the actual upside to play off ball linebacker, which I think Coughlin had that's, no upside to do. That's the key the, right there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The upside that, to play off. Yeah. I think he can do that. And I feel like that's much more translatable than uh, than Carter Coughlin. In that sense, and if you're considering him an off ball guy instead of an edge, now you have somebody who can play off ball. And he can also add value as a designated pass rusher on third downs. And in those situations, and in that case, that's a third round guy if he takes to the coaching of being an off-ball linebacker. And again, I may be, we'll wrap it up here, but I may be putting a little too much weight on the production. Because like you said, there is some cleanup sacks. And I just sometimes look at these prospects who have like these elite level production and, and yet they don't, they're not protected to go high because of all the like other traits that we say like, oh, they didn't test well here. And I'm just like, is there, we putting a little too much on the testing with this yeah. type of player? It's kind of where I feel at, but 
it's a big projection too to get him to play off ball linebackers. It's not what he played though. Again, they have made that conversion from the Jim Leonard system to the NFL level to off ball. So we'll see what smart happens kid there. Too. And he's a smart, smart kid. kid so we'll see what yeah. happens there. Let's get into. Do you have another my guy, or should we get into I the fire round? I have one more my guy okay. that I have to talk about. And this is somebody I'm not sure how you feel about him. You've made negative comments about him in the past, but I want you to come around. And that is Derek Hall out of Auburn. Yeah, the, not my guy. Edge. Not your guy, man. Six foot two, 254 pounds with 34 wow. and a half inch arms, 10 inch hands. Turn on his Texas A&M tape. Turn on his Alabama tape. He had this long arm move. He has an excellent long arm move. Because again, he has long arms, low profile at six foot two, similar to Aziz Ojolari, where he, uh, I don't know if it was Tyler Steen, but it was an Alabama tackle. And he long armed this tackle right back into Bryce Young. And the tackle's, mouthpiece flew out of his mouth. It was like Mike Tyson getting punched against Evander Holyfield, trying to find his mouthpiece on the ground type of hit from him. And dude, I get it. He isn't the bendiest. He's not that type of player, but I really like his game and I don't want a helmet scout. I don't like doing that. Some of his tape somewhat reminded me of Carl Lawson, who also went to Auburn, who came out just in the sense that he is an undersized rusher. I believe, uh, Hall has much longer arms. I don't have Lawson's testing in front of me. And I also believe that Hall tested better than Carl Lawson. But just, I remember Carl Lawson had a hump move that he would employ and he had a very effective long arm. So those are power rush moves. And that's what Derek Hall is. He is a power rusher. I think he needs to maybe do a better job getting to his counter move. But man, you want to talk about just a heavy-handed, violent type of player who can set the edge. Hate that he wore number 29 in college. Hate it. But yeah. I don't think he'll do that in the NFL. Hopefully not. But I really um I love the physical nature. I think he will add a dynamic element on rundowns as that edge setter, but also add a power element that would complement Aziz Ojolari very well in a passing situation. So I, I really do like Derek Hall, 19 and a half sacks, 29 and a half tackles for a loss. And you turn on his tape against some good competition and he's flying around everywhere. So I like him. And I also like his teammate Colby Wooden too, who is more of a interior defensive lineman who kicks around, plays five, four, three technique, just a really a uh, hustle type of player. So I enjoyed watching Auburn's front seven. I, first of all, just a side note, I completely agree with you. I hate when I'm watching these players and they have shitty numbers like Tyler Scott with a 21. I hate that number for him. It's and hard. I, it's terrible. It's disgusting. No receiver should ever wear 21. Um, as far as Hall goes, what was that? The 20, the 19 and a half sacks you mentioned um, over how many games was that? That was over that 31 stat? starts, 47 games. Yeah. Yeah. So and he had nine sacks in 2021, seven this past year. Okay. So that's, that's pretty good production, but it's, it's, I guess it's not the elite level production, but whatever. Like I'm not expecting, I shouldn't be expecting that. It's pretty good production anyway. Um, you know, it's close to what I just mentioned with, with her bigger who had 20 over the last two seasons, it's 16 and a half. So it's close enough. Um, I guess for hall, for me, I got to watch more. I got, I got to go back to the lab and, and watch him more because what my main concern was what you just said, like, I think he's, I don't see the Twitch or the bend at all with him. So I'm like, okay, so is he going to be a power rusher? But Versus these guys like Lucas Van Ness and Tyree Wilson, who, by the way, I don't really love. Like, if I'm so happy the Giants aren't picking in the top 10 with a need, quote unquote, for edge, because I would be not in the mood for Tyree Wilson or Lucas Van Ness. More so, I guess, Wilson. But both of those guys, I think, could end up being like nothings in the passing game at the next level or like next to nothings, like cleanup sack guys. And I just don't want to invest top 10s in that. But for me, at least with those guys, there's like better... uh I guess size, but I guess what you're saying is with Hall, it's like maybe he's not the tallest guy, but he ha he makes up for it with arm length. So that is something to think about um, and something I should go back and reconsider. I guess when it comes to a player like Hall, if he can go the Dexter Lawrence route, which is like you get so much better with your hands over time 
and you become that guy who wins with your hands all the time, that could make him an elite pass rusher potentially. Um, I, for me, I just didn't, I guess, see the, as much of the pass rush upside because I didn't love the twitch and the bend. He, he's much more like, I'm going to run through you rather yeah. than the I'm agile and I'm going to get to the half man, even though he gets to the half man employs a rip move yeah. and he doesn't bend like some of the other guys in this class, but I still, I really, uh, respect his skill set. and want to know a low key good trait for me. Something that I'm pretty yeah. good at is I know basically every way that different players spell their name when their name is Derek, because I feel like there are so many creative ways to spell Derek, like Derek Hall spells it D E Rick. And then you have D Eric King. Remember him, the Miami yes. quarterback, Derek Jeter. That is the, the way that I always default to. Cause I grew up a Yankee fan, D E R E K. You have Derek with D E R R I C K like Derek Henry. And then you have Derek. Remember Derek Rogers. Yeah. You also yeah. have, I think there was one that was D Y R C K Derek. Oh, I don't remember that I one. Remember, I remember. I feel like I remember seeing that one time, but yeah, a lot of Derek's We're We're going we're running way over time, I guess, for what we were hoping to do this in now that I'm looking at it, but whatever, it's fun. So we'll do one more and then we'll do rapid fire and I'll make this one more quick, even though it was a bolded guy. It's Kalijah Kansi at a pit. I understand yeah. the concerns with Kalijah Kansi, but just watch the Tennessee game. I think that's my favorite one for him. There's a snap in that Tennessee game where he does something that no one else in this class can do, has done, and I don't really see it happening that often at the NFL level. It's probably not going to work. But he essentially, I put it in my notes, is teleported around two gaps to make a pressure. It just looks like he teleported from how fast he got around those two gaps after the snap and then through the crease to the quarterback. It was just eye-opening to me, but the reduction was there as well. The step forward was made in 2021, uh, 84.6 PFF grade, and then finally an elite grade, uh, 92.4 in the 2022 season, 47 pressures and 275 snaps in 2021, and then finally in 2022, eight sacks, nine hits, 30 hurries. They're all there. Uh, 467, 40-yard dash at two. 281 is just disgusting 99th percentile type speed 164 split 94th percentile split speed at 108 uh, 281 pounds it shouldn't happen i just love him as a my guy because i know that in this giants defense year one he's making an immediate impact who else is making an immediate impact i'm not so sure about any of the corners corners a tough position to transition to and sometimes we might go through a whole season and be like he was all right. We didn't see much. John Michael Schmitz. I don't really think he's going to make some kind of crazy impact on the offensive line either. He'll help, I guess, in some ways shore it up, though. I don't know if he'll be even that much more productive than Feliciano was, if I'm going to be completely honest, at least on year one. It's tough to transition to center two, playing against actual NFL level IDLs, not your Big Ten IDLs and your whatever other out of conference games you play. And so I look across the board and I'm not so sure there's that many more people that could be there at 25 that could impact the Giants win loss record in year one, like Canty can if you get him these one on ones. And I could just see this dude destroying some of these guards, right? Like the teams that trot out like a Shane Lemieux at guard, which a lot of teams end up doing. No offense to Shane Lemieux. You're going to get destroyed, Shane Lemieux. You're going to get absolutely destroyed by this dude in the passing game. And the Giants just added Sean Robinson, which we haven't talked about. Maybe we should talk about, to be honest with you. But we've went gone too long. Another pod. (laughs) Another pod. His presence does not preclude the Giants from going after Kalijah Kansi. It might actually assist it in a weird way. It's just you need to carve out an extra role for Kansi. But now you have more depth on your interior defensive line in those running situations that in those money spots, third and six, third and seven, third and eight, you can put Kansi out there. Sean and Nacho can sit down. And now you got Dexter Lawrence, Kansi, uh, Disease, 
Thibodeau, Lenny. Like it really could enhance your pass rushing package, which is something that you know Wink Martindale's going to love. We've spoken about Cansey a ton on this podcast, and he is on my list as well. All right, let's do quick rapid fire since we're running out of time. We still want to do um, mock draft review. So I'm just going to do this real quick go through mine and elevator pitcher less. Drew Sanders, Giants, linebacker out of Arkansas. Giants fit for me because he can drop in coverage and rush the passer. Still learning the off ball linebacker position, but I love the fit there with the Giants. And I like the upside, the talent, the profile, former five star recruit. And you could see it. Sidney Brown out of Illinois, safety corner type hybrid again. If you can get an NFL coach that cleans up the tackling, I think you have a really good prospect there as well. Jervin Dexter is a player who. I like a lot out of Florida. And if he can fix that, there's one part of his game that's weirdly bad. And it's, he's just super slow off the snap for whatever reason. And yet, despite having this part of this game, he still had a lot of production. And from a pass rushing standard, 24 pressures and just 20, 229 pass rushing snaps last season. Um, Started all 13 games, 682 snaps on defense, and had 28 defensive stops. Does a good job from a penetration standpoint. Kind of like a lighter version of maybe what Kansi can offer the Giants in year one, but also totally different body type. This dude has the Chris Jones body type, which is what I like and look for at defensive tackle. One more guy to go, uh, a couple more guys to go over. Riley Moss, the corner out of of Iowa. Look, crazy ball skills, 11 career interceptions. I just look at this guy and I'm like, this dude's going to translate to the NFL level in some way. Maybe it's more of his own heavy scheme, but I like him. Eli Ricks, corner at Alabama. Not much to like about him from the actual production standpoint, but former five-star recruit at Alabama. Had some flashes early in his career, and just you're going to get him on day three. These are the types of guys I want to bet on on day three. Bet on trade type guys. Same thing goes for Corey Trice, who we've talked about before out of Purdue. Another bet on trades guys. And then just two guys to throw in, which we've talked about already, but I want to put on my my guys because I would like them at 25 for the Giants. Miles Murphy, edge out of Clemson, and Brian Branch, the safety corner out of Bama. Yeah, I absolutely love the Riley Moss call. I think he might be another one that people are saying, yeah, it'll be like a day three pick. I think that could be a steal on day yeah. three because of the production that he had. Get it, He played in a heavy zone scheme. I still think he has. He definitely has the athletic ability to play man coverage. And when he was tasked to Meg, man everywhere he goes, he was pretty sufficient at doing so. So I really love that call. My guys, I have Deontay Banks, Diane Henley, and Kalijah Cansey, and Brian Branch on this list as well, and Jervon Dexter, who you spoke on. And I'll say this about Jervon. If he could fire off the ball and anticipate the snap better, you're talking about a completely different player, but he also needs to keep that pad level low. But his brightest True. tape... It, his his best tape, man, it's it's just flashes so bright because he keeps everything tight. He anchors down. He is immovable when these one-on-one situations when he's executing the right technique. I really like his game. Now, if the Giants signed Deshaun Robinson, I don't know if they would go in that direction with all the other holes that they have on their roster. I also have Jack Campbell on this list. We've spoken about him plenty. I just think he's going to be a really good, solid three-down linebacker in this league, similar to like a Logan Wilson with maybe a little bit more upside because of his freakish Brian Erlacher type of size. Out of Iowa, Ivan Pace couldn't be more different than Jack Campbell in terms of size. He is a very small, undersized linebacker from Cincinnati, who I think would fit well with the Giants because he is a better version of Micah McFadden, a much more violent version of Micah McFadden. Cincinnati blitzed him so much. He pressured the quarterback throughout the entire season, and I think those traits are translatable despite the fact that he is in a very, very small body relative to a lot of other linebackers. I also have Rayshon Wright, a cornerback out of Oregon State. I have him on this list because I, I thought his tape was fine. He's six foot one and a half, so he's almost six foot two, 193 pounds, over 32 inch arms, 32 and a half, solid wingspan, but he didn't test at all. And when you don't test, you're going to have questions about your athletic ability. And there were times on tape where maybe you could question the athletic ability. I feel like 
it's fine though. I really do. Like some of the plays that he was beat on quote unquote, like against Stanford on a deep post, it was against a quarters where he thought the safety was going to be there. The safety bit on someone else. He was an outside leverage. Like that's understandable. It looks bad when you look at the tape, but if you know what you're looking at, then you could understand what he was thinking, what he was processing, what led to that play that looks so bad on his resume. So I'm willing to roll the dice on a player like this on day three, this Rayshon Wright, he spells his name a little bit awkwardly. There's a J, there's a Z in there. So when you see his name, that, that's who we're talking about. 21 passes defended, 11 this past season, 10 the previous season, four total interceptions. And then I also have Dorian Williams and Nick Anderson, both on this list, the two-lane linebacker. Nick Anderson more than likely won't be drafted. I have talked a lot about this guy. You guys are probably like, Nick, shut the hell up about him. But man, get him as a priority free agent, allow him to play on special teams. He is a violent, undersized linebacker who really gets shot out of a cannon. And I also like his blitzing upside as well, but I don't know if he's going to be an NFL player on defense. He might just be a special teams ace for you. Whereas Dorian Williams, that guy can play every down, might struggle to get on early downs because he's he's not the most physical in terms of his run defense right now, but he's like 225 pounds with 34 inch arms, sideline to sideline range, would not be shocked if he squeezes into day two because he has a ton of upside at his size and speed. That's Dorian Williams and Nick Anderson at the two lane. Love it. All right, those are my guys on the defense side of the ball. We're going to close this out with a few mock draft reviews. We're behind, so we're going to probably save the rest for our next show since this already went really long. But the first one we got is from Charles Staz. Oh, no, he just left us a nice review, Charles Staz. So thank you for that nice review. We'll move on to the next one here. Red Merck 17 says, keep up the good work. It's a sad day when my day doesn't seem to go as well when I wake up. Or he says, is it sad that my day doesn't seem to go as well when I wake up and you guys don't have a new podcast <laughs> to listen to? Well, I thought, well, good news is in April, that hasn't not been the case. Um, let's see. His mock draft is from PFN. He gets Deontay Banks at 25, Drew Sanders, linebacker at 57, Joe Tipman at 89, Charlie Jones, wide receiver Purdue at 128, Andrew Voorhees at a UCLA, or sorry, USC, the tier offensive lineman, uh, 160, Moro Jamu, then Keaton Mitchell, then Nick Herbig, then Carl Brooks, and then Malik Cunningham, the cor- the quarterback out of Louisville with the last pick. I like this defensive line investment late in the draft, even though the Giants just signed Aishon. You probably submitted this before this, so for that, I appreciate it. Ojamo is a I would say versatile-ish type of defensive lineman from Texas. And then Carl Brooks out of Bowling Green, he dominated a smaller level of competition, bigger type of body. So I I like the attention paid there, but now it might be a little bit less important. But hey, you're talking about pick 172, pick 243. You get Banks Sanders. That's significantly upgrading your defense. And then Joe Tippman to help your offensive line allows you to do what you did running on the perimeter in 2022. You can even enhance that because he's more of an athlete than say, you know, John Feliciano. And then Nick Herbig is a high upside guy. You could possibly move to a linebacker. Andrew Voorhees might be a little bit early for him just because he does have a torn ACL. But I would say this is a good solid, I mean, getting Deontay Banks might push this to an A minus. I mean, just having him at 25 is, is a home run for me. Yeah, I love this draft. I'm going to be honest with you, Red Mark. This was close to an A-plus for me. I'm going to give it an A. Deontay Banks, A-plus first pick. Drew Sanders, A-plus if you get him at 57. And Joe Tippman, A-plus at 89. Same goes for Charlie Jones. It starts off with four A-pluses for me. I actually am going to C to C-minus to D-plus Andrew Voorhees. It's not just the fact that he has the ACL. You're going to miss the first season of his rookie contract, which I've said in the past is a good way to find value, especially if those guys can get back on the field sooner than expected. I actually just didn't really like what when I watched him a little, very little bit of him. I was like, I don't really see the hype with Andrew Voorhees. So I would rather like there get like a guy like Gaines out of UCLA or, you know, depending on if Braden Daniels falls, which I don't think he will, somebody like that. Um, so that one wasn't good for me. The rest of the draft, her big amazing value for me at 240. I don't love Keaton Mitchell for the Giants, but 
want to add speed like that to this team? Fine. Great. I mean, speed, man. We need speed. Yeah. And a two yeah. And like I'm just meant in the sense that there's like other backs I yeah. probably would have preferred there. But this is as close to an A plus as I've seen in a while. So full A for me, Red Merc. We'll do one more and then we'll save the rest for the for the next show because we've already run pretty long here. Um, this one is from Slash's Hat. Thank you for the nice review, but it's not a it's not a uh, mock draft. So we'll move on to D Money 232, who says, I did my mock draft for PFN and I got lucky in this one. Joey Porter at 25, Jack Campbell at 57, A.T. Perry at 89, Ricky Stromberg 128, Moro Jomu at 160, Riley Moss 172, and Hunter Lupke, Lupke at 209, a player who I've I not feel watched like, at all. I feel like- Ojama, yeah, I haven't seen Lupke either. I feel like Ojamo has been on a lot of these mock drafts, him yes. or the other Texas defensive linemen. So there's something about these Longhorns, man, just squeaking into day three of these New York Giant mock drafts. But bro, getting Joey Porter at 25, that is that's awesome. Jack Campbell at 57, you have just incredible length at linebacker now and incredible length on the outside with Joey Porter Jr. You could probably do creative things with Joey Porter Jr. If Cordell Flott also develops, like if you want to put Joey Porter Jr. on a dominant tight end, I'm wondering the Giants would do that. I know Patrick Graham used to do that all the time with James Bradbury. It's just kind of a thought, but I love the combination of Porter and Jack Campbell. I would like, I'm curious to see who else was on the board, but I'm not going to complain about getting one of my guys, one of my unbolded, my guys at pick 57 and Jack Campbell. A.T. Perry is still a player I haven't really seen all that much of. And you know what? I probably should just hunker down today and watch him because I see him linked to the Giants a lot just in terms of mock drafts. Love Stromberg at 128. Ojomo is fine at 160. And Riley Moss is a home run at 172. And I don't have enough on Lupke, so I'm not going to opine on that. But overall, man, I, I still feel like this is a very solid draft. So I'm going to go with an, uh, I'm going to go with an A minus same grade as I gave the last guy. I'm going to go a minus as well for this one, a little bit less than the last draft, but I do like it a lot. Joey Porter is a slam dunk for me. I like Deontay banks more overall, but I really like Porter and the upside there. And I like what you said, Nick, they take Porter, like with that kind of length, I think he could be like the tight end stopper for all those like tough tight ends you face. And I like that Jack Campbell at 57. I don't want him at 25, but I like him a lot at 57. One thing about Jack Campbell, we haven't even discussed as much as just He's surprisingly insanely long. Like you just mentioned yeah. a little bit earlier, but six, five like that. And to be as fluid as he looks at that, I I'm intrigued by that. AT Perry at 89 is what brings this down for me. AT Perry, I guess I've seen him mock the giants, but at 24 years old, I believe he is. I doubt the giants would go in this direction. I think AT Perry is, I see a lot of people who like him, but I'll be on the other side of that. I think a lot of his production from what I saw was scheme-based in that Wake Forest offense, which is not quite the Art Bryles and all those guys, but it's it's a little, uh, let's just say, not great translatable-wise for me. Um, doesn't or That's not a good way. That's bad English, but I don't think it's going to translate as well. Stromberg, I'm not as high on as others, but some people really like him, so I'm fine with that there. And then Riley Moss at 172 is my favorite value play you've made in this one. All right. Thanks, everybody, tuning in. And thanks to everybody who dropped their mod or their mock drafts. Remember, there's still a lot of time, but probably not as much time. It's Tuesday. So maybe <laughs> <laughs> we might not be able to look. If you get your mock draft in and iTunes processes it, because this is the problem iTunes doesn't always process on their page the new reviews until like three, four days later. So the last one we have is from 423, but I'm sure there's somebody put this in on 424 potentially. Um, after listening to Pod, I don't know. So. If you get it in, we're going to try to do it. If not, we can do something else fun with you after after the draft. We'll, th- we'll think of something. We want to make sure everybody gets uh, everybody gets their fair share here. But anyway, thanks so much for tuning in. It's almost it, we're almost at the draft here. We're in the you know we're in the stretch run. We're, the, we're close to the finish line. So at, keep it locked and loaded. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.